conversation and today I'm really pleased to be sitting down with Josh Reyes and um, yeah so I'm Leanne this is the Speech Uncensored podcast and welcome Josh it's so great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me back Uh, this is much cheaper than paying for therapy or like a counselor to talk to so yeah I appreciate it I appreciate it. I love it. That's so funny because one other um, person that I interviewed for this, they got back in touch with me and they were like, you know what? That conversation was just so cathartic. Like, <laughs> it was just nice to talk it out. And I was like, cool, I'll bill you for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Josh, well, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're practicing, um, what setting you're in, and we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, I'm Josh. Uh, I work in Chicago primarily in a skilled nursing facility, but I'm also the main PRN speech therapist at a hospital, a very like small community hospital on the south side of Chicago. Um, and then also I run SLP memes um, and I just started getting into making my own speech materials for adults. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I've been practicing for like going on 10 years now, which is wild. And I have to say, I'm a big fan of your Instagram and the memes are awesome. They kill me. You have a really warped sense of humor that I think um, thousands, literally thousands of people appreciate. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I like, I don't know how things are really uh, interpreted by people and it's so easy to like get misinterpreted online, but uh, thank you though. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And those materials you make are awesome. Like, keep it up. I love using them and implementing them in my practice. It's so nice to have things that are made, especially for adults, and made within, you know, this millennia. That's important, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The hospital I work at, we have, like, a little speech room, and we have some of those really old, like, I forget what they're called, but they're old, like cognitive workbooks. And it's got like a plastic binder on it. There's probably like four or five of them. And there's some like hilarious ancient stuff in there. Um, Yeah. I always get a kick out of like old speech materials. It's pretty amazing. All right, Josh. So, Of course, we're here to talk about COVID and how it's impacting your setting in your community. Um, Since you live in pretty densely populated area, yeah. How has that been on your healthcare system in the in the two settings that you work in, the skilled nursing and your community hospital? What's that been like for you? Um, definitely not nearly as critical as New York, from what I've seen on the news. Um, Chicago's been pretty on top of sheltering in and you know being proactive for keeping the community safe, and I think that does reflect in the hospitals. They're definitely busy. Um, And we are accepting patients who are COVID positive at my nursing facility because of that. That wasn't the original attention, and I'll kind of get into that. But we are accepting, like, positive people because hospitals are trying to keep, like, people out of the hospital, essentially. Just, you know, in and out. If they're safe to go home, preferably maybe a nursing home. Um, And I'll talk more about that. But I don't feel – I feel pretty optimistic about my personal safety – my coworker's safety and some of our patients. PPE has been okay from my standpoint. It's not perfect for sure. I'll talk more about that. 
Um, but yeah, short answer, optimistic. I, I really do. But granted, I'm at a small hospital. I don't know what things are like at Rush. Rush is our big hospital and they have facilities and, and resources in place to accept um, residents undergoing a situation like this, like airborne diseases and viruses. So they're very on top of stuff. I, I don't know what it's like there, but a couple of nurses also say like very busy ERs are hectic, but it's not like New York is my understanding. Okay. All right. Good. That's nice to hear. I mean, you know, for now, we want to keep it that way. We don't want to see any increases and then we don't want to see any stressors on the system like what New York is experiencing because that's, yeah, I've read um, articles and reports on that and it's, it's stressful to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, there's another account I follow on Instagram called the armchair psychiatrist. She's a medical student. Um, and since day, well, since, since the U.S.'s first COVID patient, she's been posting a lot of stuff and it was just whipping me up into like pure anxiety. I was like on the verge of like a mild panic attack at work and freaking out at home. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a tipping point with staying informed and deep diving into all the unknowns and how that might affect you and like worst possible outcomes and everything like that. I try, honestly, I try to distance myself from most news. I'm like, I need to, I need to know enough to be safe in my environment, but I can't think beyond tomorrow or next week. And I'm just going to live each day as it comes. That's <laughs> Yes. That's the best attitude to have. Yeah. Keep it local. Um, one day at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, for your skilled nursing facility, how has this pandemic changed your practice or your work? Um, you said your facility is accepting COVID positive patients, mm -hmm. but um, have you gotten any yet? Are there some like that you've been working with in your skilled nursing facility? Yeah, um, it fluctuates, but I haven't seen any more than six or so patients with positive COVID. Um, but that does fluctuate. And then we have PUIs, otherwise known as uh, people under investigation, of course. Um, so we, we have patients like that as well. Typically, those patients went to a hospital, were exposed um, either explicitly where, they, where the hospital can confirm that, or they just assume. So anybody who comes from the hospital is a PUI. And then we do have COVID patients. Um, as far as it affecting me. Um, I have had to limit my minutes with patients. Um, and I'm kind of picky about who I pick up for cognition. Uh, if it's a fresh CVA or an acute CVA, then I am working on cognition, of course. Um, whereas pre-COVID, I'd like to see them for probably 60 minutes if they can tolerate that. Right now, I'm keeping it at about 30 and above sometimes if it just works out that way. But even that's kind of pushing it, frankly. Um, and then for other just like, you know, cognitive patients, quote unquote, it could be like Parkinson's, dementia, whatever. Um, I'm really not picking them up for cognition unless they're like a big safety risk. Um, and then I'm addressing like safety awareness, some memory stuff sprinkled in there. But that's kind of my big thing. All dysphagia patients I am picking up for the most part. If you're a dentalist, then I'm probably not going to pick you up. Just recommend mechanical soft or, um, you know, uh, and then just move on from there. Okay. So when you mentioned kind of reducing your minutes with people, is that a combination of 
the state they're in? Is it because they're like really, really weakened or is it also just a consideration of reducing exposure for you? And then as you go see other people, like all that. Yeah. Largely exposure. Definitely. Um, our PPE and like our communication from, well, the government, the state and our facility, just communication across the board has been inconsistent changing and that kind of comes with like how prepared people are so you know if i felt frankly that i had like perfect ppe and that's no facade or that's no fault of like my facility or the state it's just not out there if i felt like truly protected i'd be in there for an hour you know um but i don't feel 100 percent protected so i am trying to be conservative for my own safety to answer your question yeah mm-hmm. okay. good all right So we kind of, you mentioned earlier that you were going to kind of dive into the PPE a little bit more. Did you cover that or were there more areas that you wanted to talk about with the PPE aspect? Um, I did want to talk about the progression because it didn't just start off with like, okay, everybody gets an N95. Uh, Things have kind of changed over time. Um, We initially started with surgical masks and we were given like one a day, which is really great. Um, now that wasn't a surgical mask to treat COVID patients. It was just to like wear consistently across the, across the facility. I've heard of some homes and this is still as of like maybe three or four days ago from a friend I talked to some homes are just giving you one surgical mask and that's for the week. And I've heard of like people washing them. Um, and of course trying to bring in their own PPE, but not everybody can do that. So I'm, I feel pretty like blessed in the, in the extent that we are pretty okay on PPE. Some facilities are definitely not. Definitely. Mm-hmm. What is your PPE routine for when you're working with your COVID positive patients oh, in your field training facility? As far as like donning and doffing? Um, well, you know, real quick, uh, as far as like the progression of like our PPE. So we did start with like surgical, but then we got something I'm, I'm not familiar with, which is a cone mask which is not quite an N95. We were given that to work with like COVID patients and it's definitely better than nothing, but we still weren't thrilled about that. Then eventually we did get a, um, like a standard N95, but we got that from one of our doctors or physiatrists that works with therapy. So therapy had N95s on. Then finally the facility managed to get their hands on something better, which are like Brazilian, N95 equivalent masks. Like, I don't know how legit they are, quite frankly. It's in Portuguese. I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's okay, (laughs) but it says N95 equivalent. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff we're working with. Also, like, real quick, our eye gear has been upgraded slowly. So that's been great. We have like workshop glasses, like stuff you would see in high school when you're doing like workshop. Um, No eye seal, no like true eye protection, but something. Then we were given face shields finally, and that happened like a couple days later. Um, and then finally, we got upgraded to like goggles with like a true eye seal. Um, also, another thing, like you were talking about, like explaining my Dondoff uh, procedure. Right now, we have like two sets of PPE that we wear. If a patient is a PUI, then we're using patient gowns and compression stockings to protect our arms. And then, of course, gloves your N95 mask, a face shield goggles. Everybody kind of has their own configuration. I tend to wear both the, or the, uh, I have my own set of goggles and then the face shield just cause you know, can't be too protected. 
Um, so if it's a PUI, we were told to put compression stockings on our arms first, gloves, and then your patient gown. And uh, your mask is probably on already. We would put all that stuff on, go see your patient. And then when you leave, um, it is, <laughs> this was another thing that's been changing as well. It's just where garbages are located. So we do have a COVID wing, but where we dispose of our stuff has changed from being in someone's room to outside the room to back in the rooms. So, and when I say outside the room, I mean the COVID unit, the COVID wing that we have. Um, so it's kind of been, you know, all over the place and like we're refining things as we go along. Um, I think most of the therapists just kind of pick what makes the most sense to them uh, oftentimes as to where to disrobe. Cause it's like, in our opinion, that whole wing, there's just COVID all over the place, whether you're a PUI or not. Now that's changed. Now it's COVID and PUI are being separated. So it's a little different. Um, but that's kind of the donned off for like our unofficial makeshift PPE. As far as the uh, actual PPE for COVID patients, we don't have the blue surgical gowns like you might see in hospitals or TV. We just have those like yellow isolation gowns. We don't have the, uh, the footies. We don't have like the um, shower cap. I forget what you would call that thing. <laughs> Um, so we've been using garbage can or uh, garbage bags to make our own. And, um, one of the therapists did bring her own footies and like hair nuts. So we have had that stuff. So we're just kind of working with what we have. Um, and then, so, you know, we put it on, um, gloves first gown, your mask is probably already on from earlier. The shield is probably on just from walking into the unit, go see your patient. Um, and then it's kind of like your standard, like yellow gown, doffing, like take the gown off, gloves are wrapped up in it, toss it, take your shield off, wipe it with a cabbie wipe or like a bleach wipe. Same thing with your goggles. The mask, um, we have that N95, but also to preserve the life of it, we're putting a surgical mask over it. So we'll toss that surgical mask, leave the unit with the N95, but then uh, I switch mine out for another one you know, and then I save that. And then every two or three days I'm switching masks or I'm sorry. Um, every day I switch a mask, but I have like three masks. And then the rationale is like the virus only lives on like up to three days, usually on like plastic or metal cardboard, I believe is only 24 hours, but we're still switching them out like every three days to preserve the life. And, and we'll keep those for about, I don't know, seven or eight uses or more perhaps. Um, at this point, at least, hopefully we get more. Um, yeah. It's so interesting hearing how people are having to kind of problem solve and create versions of their own PPE. Um, when you were describing in your system and you were talking about patient gowns, I was thinking of like the cloth yes. gowns that are for patients. Like you guys are wearing that as well, or are you wearing like those like, um, disposable plastic? No, the cloth cloth patient gowns yeah yeah okay the ones that patients and so then yeah. those are just getting collected and put in laundry yes and that was another system that they've refined as well because i remember the first day or two going into a room and it's like okay where do i put my linen do i throw it away like there's no garbages here so there's just like little things that people are like oh we didn't even think about that that they're still kind of figuring out so initially like we would just have to toss it on the floor and wait for someone to come pick it up. But now they have like linen baskets and 
a proper garbage basket. Yeah. And that's not only our, like my building, it's lots of other places um, across Illinois. Yeah. Um, so when you are working with your COVID positive patients, how are you finding them? Like besides having a highly contagious respiratory disease, mm-hmm. uh, are they presenting any differently than, you know, if you're going in there for cognition, then somebody else that you're getting from the hospital who has been perhaps on a ventilator for a long period of time and mm-hmm. that kind of a typical hospital course in that sense. Like, what are you finding? How are you finding them? Um, kind of like I said, our patients, the, the way the hospitals are working, our high-level patients get discharged home. Um, and if they have the assistance, they're going home because everybody knows nursing homes are like a pit for infections, essentially. So the patients that are coming to us are like low level ish or just have lots of like physical needs and are more dependent on caregivers. So my patients, though, like if you didn't know there was a pandemic going on and you walked in, you just be like, oh, it's like, you know, an older individual on oxygen. They seem like kind of weak. Um, the hospital I've worked at, I've had some patients where they've had other comorbidities that required a swallow eval, like cancer of some sort, um, head or neck or suspected. Um, and then you walk in and it's like, oh, this patient who is higher level is coughing quite a bit. And I haven't given them anything to eat or drink. And um, sometimes when they do drink, they cough even more, uh, kind of like you might see with like a COPD patient. So it's just like those patients like, wow, like you're clearly sick with something. Um, but at my facility, my, the nursing home I work at, it doesn't seem too abnormal besides the fact that I'm like dolled up in extreme PPE, (laughs) but yeah, you, you see lethargy, um, and like oxygen needs, but that's about it. Um, have there been any unexpected benefits that have come out from this kind of disruption to your typical practice or, the memes for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the things that people are making just crack me up and also like the creativity for people in quarantine, um, hasn't gotten to the point where I have to form or start my own TikTok account yet. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I'm loving just like the ingenuity of, of people. It's hilarious. Um, unexpected benefits. I'm not, seen any two or I haven't seen much yet. Illinois did or CMS did give Illinois something called an 1135 waiver. And I don't remember how many States they gave it to. I want to say it's definitely less than 20. I could be wrong. At least last I checked, but that waiver basically allowed long-term residents to get med a benefits or skilled services without the three day hospital stay. Now, when we were told that, I was just like, oh, they, you know, I, I don't, me just being kind of um, pessimistic, I was like, oh, they just want to make money. Uh, but of course, that doesn't make sense. It, we, and we weren't informed as to like what the purpose of this was. But I guess the state or CMS wanted to decrease patients getting admitted to hospitals. So they wanted to increase skilled services to prevent that from happening so they don't get exposed at the hospital. Um, we did some screenings. We picked up a few people who had like changes in their baseline. That was one benefit. Um, but like the broader benefit I'm hoping is like, you know, we're going to see people who have like tens of thousands of dollars 
in medical bills for having been on a ventilator. I'm still not sure how the testing's working out. It's supposed to be free. I've, I don't know that it is for sure. Um, and I think the insurance, I don't know, and I've heard like insurance premiums are going up too, or they might go up. So I think something's going to break. Um, and when it does break, there's going to have to be reform in healthcare and other areas too. But yeah, it, it's going to have to be a bridge for like healthcare to like strengthen its safety nets, hopefully give the workers better pay, better staffing at nursing homes. Cause everybody's starting to realize, oh, they don't have enough CNAs on the floor. People don't have enough sick leave if they do get sick. Um, and I've worked at, I've worked at homes where CNAs call off in blocks cause they know someone's calling off. So I'm not going to go to work. So I'm going to have to do like double or triple the work. And it becomes like a big domino effect in nursing homes, at least from what I see like in the city here. Um, so, you know, something's going to break, something's going to have to be fixed. You look at like the great depression, it's, we got like the, what was it? The, uh, the new deal out of it. You know, we hired people to fix the infrastructure, things like that. I might be mistaken. I think social security was born out of that as well. Medicare, if I'm not mistaken, but that's what happened in the U S the great depression in other countries like Germany, you got Hitler, Italy, you got Mussolini, Spain, you got Franco, you know, it's like economic upsets can produce like a really ugly authoritarian uh, response to it, but it also can lead to like great things. So I'm really hoping this country like gets it. I can swear. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I really hope we get our shit together. Cause it's like, there's so many problems. I I'm married to a teacher and uh, we're actually having a Corona baby um, conceived well before this, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I'm actually in isolation from her. I'm, I'm actually in my upstairs neighbor's apartment while they're like fleeing to Minnesota in the woods. They're letting me stay up here. So I'm like trying to stay away from her. Um, but through her, I get amazing teacher insurance. I went to the dentist, you know, for the first time in like six years, like three months ago, I didn't have any cavities. Don't ask me how. Um, so, like, <laughs> but, um, but prior to that, and it, it's not just like, you know, the therapy companies I work for now, but in the past, it's always been pretty lousy insurance across the board. Some companies are better than others, but it's just like, uh, I couldn't take, yeah, I was, I was afraid to be sick before and, and I wouldn't go to a doctor. I finally got my first physical, like maybe a month before this whole COVID business started. And that's just cause like it's expensive. So I'm, I'm hoping nursing homes get better resources, more staff on the floor, healthcare workers get better benefits things like that. Yeah. That's the only, well, only thing I can think of. Yeah. I'm sorry. Huh? No, that's good. That's good. But, um, also you kind of shared like another way that COVID has changed your work practice, like bleeding over into your personal life. Like now you have to like, you're, li you're literally living in a separate location from your family, from your growing family. And that's like, so unfortunate, but those, mm -hmm. those are the choices that people have to be confronted with if they're going to work one-on-one -on -one with these patients, they have to consider what's the likelihood that I might bring this, this home. Oh, yeah. And with a, a pregnant wife at home, like that's super scary. That's really worrisome. So I'm really glad you have the resources to be able to, to put that distance there to protect your family. That's really amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Um, I had another coworker and she was maybe six or seven months along, but she had to take a, a leave of absence. Cause like, 
you know, there's studies that, or some reports that people who are pregnant don't seem to be affected any greater, more susceptible than uh, non-pregnant people with a virus. But her doctor recommended, like, don't go to work. Just like, why take the chance? Uh, yeah. And then I've had other coworkers leave too. Um, and they were just concerned about their health, like younger, older. Um, yeah. They were just like, I, I don't want to, I can't do this, you know? And I think a lot of it's like just personal anxiety, which is very understandable. I've had a couple people reach out to me on my meme account, which is always funny. Cause it's like, I am not someone who should be broadcasting their opinion and you certainly, should, certainly shouldn't come to me with like your questions. But I mean, I've been a therapist for 10 years, so I have like some insight and um, only a handful of people have been like, I, I'm, I'm concerned to go to work because they don't have the proper PPE and I don't feel safe at work. And I was some like, it's the hardest choice, but it's definitely the safest one. Like don't go to work if you don't feel safe. Um, and also like, be confrontational if you are going to work. I'm not a confrontational person, but I will force myself to do it. It's like something I'm trying to be better about in my life. Um, and it's always easier to do it for like other people, not for myself, frankly. But I, uh, I will confront like staff who are being lax about safety, like at work. You know, I, I do see nurses get lazy about like donning doffing stuff, um, going into rooms, dipping in and out of like POI rooms. And I will say something, you know, because it's like you only have to be wrong once and then you could get exposed to the virus and then you're infected. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, just some advice. It's better to go that way than like go over people's heads sometimes. Like, you know, you don't want to go straight to the manager and be a big baby or not be a baby, but, you know, um, be passive about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It is. It's important for us to like remind each other that we all have to be vigilant because the longer we deal with this, like I find myself getting comfortable with it. You know, it used to be like, wow, this is so crazy. I'm wearing a mask at work every day. And and now if I go upstairs and see acute patients, I've got like this whole other, you know, series of PPE to don and off. And now I'm just like, well, that's what we do now. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm getting used to it and that's a very slippery slope. So I appreciate you and people like you who will like be a reminder to be like, no, it's not time to get lax. It's not time to get comfortable with this pandemic. Like it's not. So for sure. And I'm guilty of that too. I've like accidentally touched my face a few times. I'm just like texting my wife, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not coming home today. No. Uh, yeah, I, I've also gotten a little complacent. I understand that. Um, we kind of talked about this before, sorry to interrupt, but like also my, my home is like on the South side of Chicago. So we largely work with like people of color, largely like black community, uh, Hispanic community and like Chinese, uh, community because we're pretty close to Chinatown. And um, it's interesting to like hear and see how like different people are responding to it. Um, and I think for like the next episode you do, you should definitely have like a person of color. I am technically, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I'm not the good representation sometimes. Why, why are you not a representation of a person of color? Like? I'm you know, I'm, I'm Mexican and Jewish, but I, I was definitely raised more Jewish. Uh, so I, I always like identify with that more. Of course, like if I go to synagogue, it's like I don't relate to people. It's like the the issues of being like a, a tomorrow person, so to speak. 
But um, yeah, someone perhaps more familiar. But but I do see like a distrust of like what is going on and like the recommendations by CDC and like who from like the black community. And I, and I hear things at work and it's like, it's interesting. And, you know, this government, sorry, not to get on like a weird government. I'm not trying to turn to like Noam Chomsky here, but those have like a long history of like, like line, especially to the black community about things that they're doing. And now I'm starting to see like Facebook posts from like old coworkers, current coworkers where they're like saying, if there is a vaccine, I'm not taking it. Um, this virus is bullshit. And it's not only like the black community, there's like plenty of people who, um, you know, previous actions of like the government has kind of spoiled what they're going to listen to and, um, how they're going to protect themselves and ultimately other people too, which is unfortunate. Yeah. There's been a history of distrust and outright lies towards this entire group of people. So they're, they're just coming from a stance of like, you don't have what's best for me. So I'm not really trusting what you have to say. Is that kind of like what you're describing? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a big distrust, not with everybody, but um, I I definitely hear it. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Like in Chicago, I think, what did they say? Like 70% of the deaths are from like the black community. And I'm sure that's across like the nation. Um, and I think other like groups too have like higher, but you know, it's access to healthcare. It's the kind of jobs they work. It's like lifestyle, but, um, yeah, things like that are not helping this distrust. So I, I really hope our country can like really rebound from that and give people like trust in science again. You know? Oh, I did have a question. Um, since I'm sure no guests or visitors are allowed in the facility. Um, how are your um, residents and patients communicating with their family and friends? Um, some, I know some of the long-term residents are just picking up a phone or some of them have cell phones. So they're making calls that way. My COVID and PY patients, um, they do have phones in the room. I've been trying to get people to um, do FaceTimes. I use my iPad mostly for therapy. I'm not thrilled about bringing it in and out of rooms, but um, there is like adequate like cleaning solutions around. I'm like cabbie wipes and all that. So I don't mind. I haven't had any success with patients who are like appropriate yet. Um, But yeah, it's something I ask all my patients. Some of them are just like, I can use my phone or cognitively they're like not appropriate for it. So, and then the case with like the COVID PUIs tend to be a little more uh, um, independent and like higher functioning, as they say. Um, Yeah, that's something I've been trying. Like I've noticed like a slight increase in behaviors and like a couple patients because they're in isolation, especially with smokers. Um, I've had a couple of therapy sessions where it's just like, okay, here are the smoking times. Um, And then I give them a packet and all my patients, like a packet that I made, I just put a couple of things together about like the nature of the virus, some like plain language info about like how to be hygienic. What are the signs, the symptoms, also what our facility is doing, why we're not doing communal dining, why there's no activities, but also just stuff to like help them initiate, like talking to activities or someone like I'm depressed, I'm bored, or I just need like a book. Um, I had one patient acting up smoking was an issue. Um, the guy was having some other problems going on, but leisure time was just like something he wasn't, he wasn't aware that he needed. 
uh, it kind of seemed like he just needed to like busy himself. So I just helped him like pick some books from our library. Of course I went to go get them. Um, but yeah, just like leisure time is an issue, you know, with our generation, it's like, we know how to occupy ourselves. Even before this pandemic, I would have patients where you're, and I'm sure you've seen this too. You like bring them to the room. I'm like, can I get you something? You want to turn the TV on? They're like, no, I'm just going to sit here. And it's just like such a foreign idea. <laughs> like, you know, just sit there and like ruminate for God knows how long. It's like, I'm not doing that. My mind's going to dark. It's going to implode. Um, but yeah, so I've been trying to help him with like leisure time. Um, that's been a big thing so far. And the smoking is huge for some people. Yeah. Like, do you take them outside or open a window? Like what, what are their options? It, it's changed initially. Um, well, so our access to the smoking patio has been barred off because of the COVID unit, uh, COVID unit. So they have to go through our therapy gym now, which we weren't thrilled about, but we're not, you know, it's like they have a right to smoke. Of course, like I, don't know, I used to smoke a little bit, so I totally get it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, just for the sake of like safety, we weren't ideal or thrilled about it. And then the facility banned it for like a night and we were like, wow, this is not going to fly. So then they reinstated it. where like, there's only three times a day where they can smoke. So they do cut through the gym and activities takes them. Yeah. But yeah, my, my purpose was just to get them on schedule with it. Do they let them go out like, at a time or are they like, okay. Anyone who wants to go smoke can go outside and smoke now. Um, it's it's a small group. It's usually only like three to four people at a time, and they do spread out. Yeah. Well, Josh, are there any resources that you've been using to keep your workflow progressing or to help you like understand what's going on with the pandemic, to share with your patients, or just to be zen about what's happening? Um, generally not no i'm not using anything like different than from before i'm printing stuff out more than using my ipad now um and then i made like a little packet kind of like i mentioned just related to like the nature of the outbreak what the facility is doing why we're doing it um other than that uh you know my productivity is still the same and ever since pdpm it's like I've got 13, 15 patients I got to see in a day sometimes. So like productivity still sucks. Um, and it's not any easier having like done and off stuff. So I tend to make a lot of templates for like notes, goals, and like discharge stuff that, you know, of course I modify. I know Medicare doesn't like too much repetition, even though my job is pretty singular in its purpose. Um, so yeah, I, one thing that just helps me is like having templates for my notes and then modifying those as needed. Mm, that's a really good tip. I'm a big fan of templates and um, frameworks. And like you said, modifying mm -hmm. as needed for the individuality and uniqueness of the person that you're working with in that situation. Mm -hmm. Those are helpful. Yeah. Cause sometimes it do feel like we just have to reinvent the wheel every time we work with a patient. And so any way that we don't have to completely start from scratch with that is very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Agreed. All right, Josh. Well, are there any um, little tidbits of advice that you'd like to share with other people who are working in um, the skilled nursing facility world? Mm, be safe. Advocate for yourself. Um, definitely bring up your concerns. And if you don't feel safe, like, you know, I hate to say it, but like, don't go to work. It's not worth your mental health. 
and the anxiety. Um, I had a coworker who like quit her job because they weren't even doing like fit testing. Of course, like some facilities are still not doing that, but like people are kind of soldiering on still. So everybody kind of has like their threshold for like what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Um, just do what feels good to you. You know, if you're lucky to do that or if you can do that, some facilities already dropped their, um, caseloads quite a bit because they're not accepting COVID patients. I have friends who are like working three, four hours a day. If that, um, that's not the case at my facility, of course, our caseloads like pretty normal. Um, but otherwise like outside of like speech, like I think there's something really important about the power of boredom. Um, I mean, you think about like, old philosophers and like scientists who weren't distracted by social media, computers, all that stuff. And it's like, they were just doing so much more with themselves because of boredom. Um, you know, boredom is like a meditation of sorts. So like, you know, I hope people are like embracing that and just finding ways to be creative, whether it be related, like speech therapy, um, preferably not related to speech therapy, <laughs> you know, uh, start drawing, take some photos, um, yeah, music, whatever, macrame, uh, but yeah, em- embrace the boredom, embrace the isolation. And also like, I think we were like a culture that overshares a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm sure I'm guilty of that too, but I think there's something special about doing something like for yourself, something creative and not sharing it with people. Like there's some things that I'll do and it's like, if it's relevant in a conversation and like someone's at my house, like I'll show it to them, but I don't broadcast it on like my social media. Um, Cause it, like, I just want to do something that's for me, something like special for me. It's like my little, my little thing. I like that. That's really nice. And also I think my new favorite quote is um, boredom is a meditation of sorts. Like <laughs> Josh, you could put that on a shirt or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have little things you're doing to like occupy your time and your mind here? Yeah. I'm recording COVID conversations now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. My husband and I finished up a puzzle the other day. Um, I don't know. That's pretty trendy. Like a lot of people are spending time on puzzles who would probably find other things to do. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. I think we covered everything. Was there anything else um, that you thought about that you wanted to share? Um, no, I think that's it. Yeah. 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 Thanks for having me again. Thank you for sharing your experiences. What life is like working in this pandemic in the South side of Chicago between two different settings. Um, thanks for sharing what that's like. Like this helps people who can identify feel a little bit better that they're not the only one who maybe is experiencing this Mm -hmm. unique situation so that's it yeah thanks and you know most people won't know this but i was a little hesitant to come on the show just because you know like i said no facility is perfect including mine um and it's kind of hard to expect perfection given the times right now so i don't know but um i'm glad i did it though thank you so much for having me yeah cool okay well thank you josh this was great thanks again